This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Australia and Israel, two countries that thought they had COVID licked, are reimposing tough restrictions because of the Delta variant. There's also a surge in Delta variant cases in the UK and the US, and Europe is bracing for that to happen by late August. We know that the variant is 50% more transmissible than previous iterations of the virus. So how much of a threat does that pose for us as our vaccination rates keep climbing here at home? And what should we and shouldn't we be doing? Let me give the numbers out if people have questions. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And I'd like to welcome Dr. Peter Uni, the Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Hello and happy Canada Day. Thank you. Hi, Libby. Hi. So um, you're a permanent resident. Um, Are you celebrating the day? Uh, No, we don't. We don't. But, you know, one of the reasons is also, you know, the the situation um, with, uh, you know, all the sad news we had, which we, you know, I find very challenging just to experience that here. But I'm also aware of that, you know, uh, Switzerland actually had a very similar situation with the children of the Roma population. Um, it's extremely, extremely sad and upsetting. And that's actually one of the reasons we don't celebrate. Huh. You know what? I never knew anything about that. So uh, thank you for, for, for something, that, something for us to think about as well. Uh, let's get to the science. Uh, so um, it is quite surprising. You know, we're looking around and seeing places that that looked like they had this thing licked and suddenly there's the Delta variant. Sure. Look, the problem is that this thing has adapted to us as their host during uh, the last 17 months so much that we just now talk about a completely different opponent. And that's what some people then don't get. And they just think, oh, okay, you know, we know now how this works, but they actually don't. If you want to understand that, you need to think about, let, let's, let's have a hypothetical example. Now, we have a summer camp with 250 people in this summer camp, okay? And now let's assume that one person brings in the wild-type variant, the one that we had that caused the first wave. After five days, this means that three people will have gotten it from this person. And after another five days, um, a total, uh, 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 another uh, nine people will have gotten it. And uh, after two weeks, it will be around 25. Okay, that's with the wild type variant. Guess what's happening with the Delta variant? Same situation. What we see happening is that after five days, we have seven people on average who have gotten it. And then five days later, the number the number of cases will already uh, just be um, 49. And after two weeks, we will be at 250. And that's the difference. You know, that's this changing game that we're seeing. And therefore, it's so important that we just all get vaccinated and that we convince people that the only way to keep this province safe and to keep yourself safe is to be vaccinated. Right. But people who are fully vaccinated are also getting this. I mean, uh, they're not ending up with such serious cases, but they're getting it. So there are two aspects which are important. One is, as you just said, it's much less severe and the probability that you get it is much, much lower. You know, it's the the probability that you get it is, is reduced by a factor of 10. So if two people actually meet now who are both fully vaccinated and they uh, meet inside and they decide to hug, etc., they're both vaccinated. Both of them reduce the risk of getting or transmitting it by a factor of 10. And that multiplies. You know, we do a bit of math today. 
And that multiplies meaning two fully vaccinated people are 100 times safer when they meet than two people who are not vaccinated at all. And that's a real, real difference. Now, here's a question, personal question. Uh, my husband is in Germany now. He's fully vaccinated. Uh, I think their percentages are, are similar to ours. And he says people aren't wearing masks there. Um, and, and I think these cases are surging there. Look, it's a real problem. We can't afford anything inside. Again, remember some of the discussions we had, you know, for months, have had for months now. Outside is much safer. So outside, I'm really not worried. But uh, but indoors now, once Germany will have had also 25 to 30 percent of the Delta variant, they're not there yet. Then things start to be challenging, and that's that's the that's the issue there too. So um, inside, it will be a problem, and uh, I'm really really concerned quite a bit about Europe. I'm much less concerned about us here. We now have, you know, just the next step of the reopening today, and I see a really determined uh, CMOH now with uh, Kieran Moore, who actually really wants to wait three weeks. This means within these three weeks, we will see whether we keep this thing under control, and I believe we will, because we really vaccinate as much as we can, and we're really on a good track. If we stay a bit careful, we might be one of the only places in the world who actually doesn't suffer from Delta eventually. Interesting, for instance, Alberta is removing a mask mandate. Is is, is that a safe thing? I mean, it seems to me at, at this point, there, there's so much that people want to start doing now, but we're all kind of used to wearing masks. Yeah, look, look, it's not safe. Again, outside, all fine. I don't have a problem at all if people are are uh, a bit okay, you know, to uh, now sit on a patio with another five people currently, you know, with the situation we're, we're in with the, with the vaccination rollout because we reduced the risk outdoors by a factor of about 20. Yeah, so so the, the combination of all of that will help. But, but indoors, this will be very challenging. And again, you know, you don't notice that yet as long as Delta is growing in the underground. But the moment it will reach 50%, you start to see growth. You know, before the vaccine rollout helps just to eliminate alpha, the previous variant. And this means, you know, the growth will be flat or it still all goes down. And all of a sudden, the adversary is there and you haven't seen it coming. And that's what could happen in Alberta. I hope not for them. But it's certainly not prudent what they're doing. And it, it will be absolutely fatal if we started to do that here. Remember the situation we were in just recently. Well, uh what is the danger to us if we have other provinces that are uh, that are a lot less strict than we are? Uh, Alberta is a few provinces over, but you know, how do you assess that? Look, um, it depends really just how we handle, of course, our borders, just the provincial border. And it is a challenge. It will be a challenge, you know, with places like Texas or Florida as well, for example. And we just need to keep just uh, getting the vaccine coverage as high as we can and keep numbers down so that when there is a small outbreak that the testing and tracing systems uh, continues to work, you know. If we then have large numbers, this won't even work. And uh, probably the combination of having the testing and tracing system work and being a bit careful at the border, meaning uh, typically, you know, fully vaccinated people in the future will not have to quarantine, but they might need to just show a negative test, for example. But people who are not fully vaccinated need to continue to quarantine. We then will probably be able to keep this thing sort of under control. I would honestly hope this will be the case. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure of all the restrictions uh, from province to province. I, I know about uh, Atlantic Canada. It has opened up to people who are fully vaccinated. I'm, I'm not even sure now um, what happens. Uh, you know, you can, you can get on a plane and fly. I'm, I'm again, not, what is the situation? If, if I get on a plane and fly to, fly to British Columbia, are they going to ask for my vaccination status or do I just go? I'm actually not sure right now. I'm not sure if things are in the flux. And we just now need to start to use the, uh, you know, the, uh, the vaccines as widely as we can also to uh, control public space. That's the point now. We can't afford having unvaccinated people, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in, 
places like uh, you know indoor dining uh, restaurants etc but also traveling without making sure that they actually stay negative and are unable to uh, distribute the virus that's certainly something which will only work if we have a vaccine certificate and we, if we use it wisely it will be challenging you know to a certain ex- extent but that's what israel for example did very uh, successfully at the beginning and that's probably, I'm actually not sure, I haven't checked the uh, the media today, that's probably what they will be reintroducing, you know, that they just, for instance, allow indoor dining only for people who are fully vaccinated, which makes a lot of sense in the situation we're in. But they were going to be opening up to fully vaccinated tourists, and they're pushing that back to August now. Uh, yeah. yeah, and, and Australia is, is in a lockdown. Yeah, look, I mean, Australia is in a much less, a uh, lucky position than we are right now because we continue to have a lot of mRNA vaccine, Moderna and Pfizer, and their vaccine coverage is a, is a lot lower. So when you look into that, you know, they had uh, the situation of being an island uh, with with uh, with no long land borders or so, so they could go for uh, COVID zero uh, initially, and that's basically their approach there. If they now have a situation where Delta actually starts to take hold, this will be very very challenging. So their so, vaccination rates are low, or is it the, just yeah. they, they vaccinated with something else? No, no, their vaccination rates are still considerably lower. I couldn't tell you the number right now. I need to look it up, but it's clear you know, that they're much, much lower than we are. Dr. Uni, we're almost out of time. What would you like to leave us with? I think we're on the right track and we just need to continue, you know, just that the feel that you have outside now is, oh, this is actually quite normal. And as long as we live this new normal, it's not the old one, a bit carefully. And as long as we continue with the vaccine rollout, as we do, and as long as we don't push it too much, we just will be okay. We're in a very lucky position right now, so let's not gamble with this position. And let's not uh, play Alberta here. This would be absolutely wrong. We can do this now. This time it will work out, but we can't get ahead of ourselves. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Peter Uni. Thanks a lot for having me, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow. And one of the topics where we were just deluged and I couldn't take all the calls was this business about renaming Dundas Street. Well, I've done a little bit of homework and there might be a different story about this guy Dundas, though I still have to wonder why did he get all that real estate in the first place? But, uh, you know, he may not be as bad a guy as we've been hearing. So um, I'm going to talk about that a little bit tomorrow and get ready to call in to give your views. Uh, the city is totally on side to rename all those addresses on Dundas Street. We'll be asking again what you think and also for all the other subjects this week. Uh, We've had a really big week for news. And in the meantime, everyone, happy Canada Day. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Bill Cosby is a free man today, and he is proclaiming his innocence in relation to crimes he actually admitted to. The 83-year-old walked out of jail yesterday after the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned his indecent assault conviction for drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constant. Now, the case was about her. But dozens of women came forward accusing him of the same thing, drugging and raping them. He admitted to giving them drugs, but the reason he was released was that he made that admission in a civil suit after an agreement with a previous prosecutor that he would not be charged criminally after giving that testimony. So 
What do you think? Uh, do you think that this will prevent future victims from coming forward? Uh, and, uh, you know, he has served more than two years of a three to 10 year sentence. So, uh, you know, he is 83. And, uh, you, you know, he was considered America's dad. Not anymore. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740-4740. Now let's go to criminal defense lawyer Joseph Newberger of Newberger and Partners LLP. Hi, Joseph. Happy Canada Hi. Day. Happy Canada Day to you, too. Well, could something like this have happened here in our legal system? Well, we're smarter than that. You know, I, I think the process works here a little differently. So there's some differences uh, between Canada and the United States. So first of all, in the U.S., they have... Um, per state statute of limitation, so with a 20-year limitation period. So if you don't bring an allegation within that period of time, it's statutorily barred. So that's one oddity in the United States that we don't have here. So if there's a historical allegation from even 30 or 40 years ago, nothing prevents that case from coming forward. In this particular instance, the complainant had decided to commence a civil action and seek damages for a sexual assault rather than pursue a criminal charge. And then the lawyer, having who is defending Cosby on the civil case, understood the liability of being deposed. And so there was an agreement reached by all parties with the U.S. prosecutor that they would give him immunity from prosecution if he were to agree to being deposed in the civil action. Civil action went forward, he gave evidence, and they reached a settlement which was sealed, all done. You fast-forward a number of years, the Mean 2 movement comes out, a number of complaints, and it's starting to really boil over. And then the prosecutor at the time decides, we're not going to abide by that agreement, and we're going to prosecute. And that's exactly what they did. And the Court of Appeal in Pennsylvania said, no, we have to honor agreements, and the case should not have been brought forward, and therefore the conviction is overturned. And we do have in Canada agreements not often do we ever offer immunity in cases, but sometimes there are agreements. You can imagine the most infamous, which is the Carla Hamalka yeah. deal. But we have to honor those in law to have a system function. Because as, as you know, unappetizing it may be that Bill Cosby walks away in this case, we have to have a functional system where we can rely on the undertakings and word of prosecutors, and we cannot have that change um, when the political climate or the social climate changes. And that's something which is very important because it can, in this case, it's, it's, you know, violence against women, which is important that we protect against, but it could be any other reason. So we have to be very careful about these basic principles. Uh, Here's something I was a little confused about. I've heard conflicting reports. I heard one report saying that it was actually just a verbal agreement. And then I've uh, seen reports that said, no, it was a written agreement. I mean, presumably that makes some kind of difference. Uh, yes. I mean, you know, there's often that we have agreements with uh, Crown prosecutors that are verbal, and, and 95% of the time I might not even think about putting it in writing because they're very honorable here and nobody goes back on it. I cannot imagine in the United States, and I have experience with work in the U.S., everything is in writing. These agreements are detailed. So I would imagine there was something in writing. Um, it may have been not as formal as other types of agreements. But there was not a dispute on the facts that there was an agreement for immunity. So once you accept that as a premise, the appeal has a foundation in which to do their assessment and then render their decision. Uh, And here, presumably, it wouldn't have happened because uh, all those other women, and boy, there are so many of them, uh, they would would have been able to prosecute their cases because there wouldn't have been uh, a statute of limitations. Even Andrea Constance apparently was filed 12 days before her time ran out. Right. So in Canada, there is no limitation period. So if allegations come out and and for whatever reason uh, a complainant did not want to disclose 20 years ago or whatever for for many laudable and important reasons, these allegations would be prosecuted here. So many of those witnesses who came forward in the trial uh, of Bill Cosby who talked about similar incidents, uh, their cases would have been prosecuted here in Canada, but they were statutorily barred in the United States. And that's a big significant difference between Canada and the U.S. 
What do you make of of the argument that this might prevent uh, women from coming forward? Of course, there are a lot of reasons why women don't want to go through this process. But uh, and on the other hand, one of the things we saw in the Gian Gomeshi case was uh, it was that whole believe her thing um, in the face of evidence that that was tainted. So. Um, where are you coming down on that aspect? Okay, so, you know, I believe in due process, and, and I see as a defense lawyer, and I do a lot of sexual defense work, and I see a lot of false allegations. And we have to be very careful about affording everybody, whether you're a male or female defendant, whether it's a sexual assault case or an assault case or something else, that there is due process and there's a fair process. So anybody who's a victim, truly a victim of abuse, should feel comfortable coming forward, There is a solid system in place where they are supported by victim witness. Crown prosecutors are very adept at this, as well as police officers. And what happened in the United States shouldn't stop anybody, because this complainant decided to sue Mr. Cosby at the outset and got compensation as a result of that. So that was a voluntary, intentional choice, and um, that is a way of redressing a wrong. And that was a voluntary choice. If they would have gone to the police within a couple of years of the event in question, they would have had a prosecution. So this shouldn't bar anybody from coming forward. In the Chiang Meshi case, these were appropriate acquittals. There was messaging which undermined the uh, integrity of the evidence of the complainants. There was clear collusion. And we have to remember that we must maintain the integrity of the trial process and make sure that the evidence reaches a threshold of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Nobody's going to be happy with this system of justice, but this is a good system, and it does prevent against wrongful convictions. And, you know, the Gomeshi case was one of those cases that you can't rally around. I mean, you said something so important that, you know, I have to seize on again, which is believe women. You know, of course we should believe people who complain, but a police service cannot come out and say, we believe women. You start from the premise that everything is is absolutely true, because then there's no investigation. And we see some problems in the UK, and there's a study in Australia going on right now about this issue and about how investigations are tainted. And the public doesn't really realize until a family member or a friend is charged with something where the allegations are really, really tenuous, and you see what the impact is. So yeah, but think- let, let me also bring something else up. We've seen revelations about rape kits not done properly, sitting in evidence lockers. I mean, there, there there's also, uh, if you know, even if you don't say that that authorities are complicit, there's certainly incompetence there. Well, you know, again, I, I have to say the majority of cases that come forward, the sexual assault kits which are done are really a modest piece of evidence as part of the Crown prosecution. Most of the cases that come forward, they take a statement from a complainant. Maybe there's a prior disclosure witness. Maybe there's some messaging that they have. But that's the sum total, really, of evidence that goes forward. And in many cases, the evidence of a complainant itself, there's no need for corroboration. It can sustain a conviction. Hmm. And, um, and we're seeing that more and more. And, and there's a lot of case law coming out of our Court of Appeal and Supreme Court of Canada about how these cases have to be handled. So in the past, there may have been incompetence, but there are very sophisticated police officers on these units doing this work. My concern lies in the fact that there should be more investigation, and we're not seeing that. What would you like to leave us with, Joseph? I think uh, twofold. One, in the Gomeshi case, this was the right decision for a number of reasons, because we need a functional system we can trust. And those who are true victims of violence should feel comfortable to come forward with their allegations. They will be dealt with seriously and prosecuted seriously. Okay. Joseph Newberger, thank you so much. Happy Canada Day. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Right. Another break, and when we come back, the threat of the Delta variant. I know everybody is getting more comfortable. We're, re- we're reopening. Uh, a lot of us are fully vaccinated, but this thing is surging in places that uh, were ahead of us. So we'll try to get some good information on what is next on COVID. Let me give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Happy Canada Day. And I believe there is much to celebrate in our country, despite the recent very dark discoveries. Don't get me wrong, I'm not for a minute underplaying the importance of a reckoning now that we know about the unmarked graves of more than 1,100 children on the grounds of former residential schools. The latest revelation came just yesterday. The Lower Kootenay Band uh, announced that 182 unmarked graves were found near the site of the former St. Eugene's Mission School. It's easy to understand the hurt and anger Indigenous people are feeling, and that has many of them calling for Canada Day to be cancelled, like Dr. Crystal Fraser of the Gwich'ya Gwich'in Band. I literally got married on July 1st, so so I would not have to celebrate Canada Day. Um, it's, it's always a choice for people, and it's very complicated for Indigenous people to celebrate Canada Day, um, particularly 2017, four years ago, Canada 150 was a difficult year um, because it basically represents, you know, the celebration of this long history of residential schooling. So for Indigenous people, it's, it's difficult, and particularly this year as we're still in mourning, and, you know, it's just my opinion that to throw a party when your neighbours are grieving the deaths of nearly a thousand people, that seems a little bit inappropriate to me. I think it's incumbent on us to learn this history, even as we celebrate Canada, and to tell the truth, and I'm not comparing injustices here, Basically, everyone I know who is not a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant has experienced some form of racism, discrimination, harassment, certainly in decades past. And, and that extends to people who are white and European. And it still exists here. We are seeing a surge in anti-Semitism, also Islamophobia, anti-black racism, but there are also many places where you see people of all different faiths and races working and playing together happily. And that's why so many people from so many places want to make Canada their home. So I'm going to talk to someone from Historica Canada and a professor of Indigenous Studies, but I also want to hear from you. And I haven't even mentioned the pandemic-related restrictions that are putting a damper on Canada Day. So what is your Canada Day like? What are you doing? Are you wearing orange or red? I am wearing orange today. And the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Veldon Coburn, Assistant Professor at the University of Ottawa in the Institute of Indigenous Research and Studies, and Bridget Dozak, the Vice President of Operations at Historica Canada. Hello and welcome to you both. Good afternoon, afternoon, Libby. Let me start with Dr. Coburn, and I gather you are on Parliament Hill and it is dead quiet. It is until just a moment ago, uh, Libby, and I hope uh, uh, your producers might cut away whenever the uh, snowbirds fly overhead because they're quite loud. But yes, I am here and uh, staring straight at the uh, carillons going off at noon, and uh, there's quite a few orange shirts out here. Uh huh. Are, are there a lot of people there? Not what you would ever expect on a Canada Day. Hardly a drop in the bucket from what is uh, what we've known in the past. You know, uh, it's interesting, the clip that uh, we just ran from Dr. Crystal Fraser, she referenced 2017, and I remember being on Parliament Hill in 2017 for the sesquicentennial, and literally, we waited in line for three hours to get up there. Uh, I have to say the program was a bit of a bust, in my opinion, but uh, it was great being uh, among those crowds, very different Canada Day. Bridget Dolzak, uh, what are you doing to mark Canada Day? 
Well, today I'm wearing an orange shirt. And um, I'm taking time to reflect. I'm taking time to um, to read, to listen, and and really try to understand um, what it means with our English. Uh, Bridget, are you there? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, I can hear you. There was uh, there was some noise in there, Bridget. You know, Historica Canada is famous for those heritage minutes, which for a lot of people make up a lot of what they know about our history. Uh, What about uh, what What are you planning in order to you know uh, recognize this reckoning? Well, I think um, we have a lot of uh, content and different um, um, different content that people can go and look at um, on our website. For example, uh, if you go to the Canadian Encyclopedia and you type in residential school, you will find an article that will explain residential schools and that will talk a little bit more about what happened, how did it happen, talk about the last um, residential school in uh, that closed in 1996. Uh, and the one that was funded by the government, 97 for Corollier in um, uh, in the northern territories. But um, I think I think the uh, I think what's important is that it's to have that content. It's to to be able to go and find more information about residential school, about Indigenous people, about our complex history, uh, about the good and the bad. And I think uh, I, I think by by looking at the type of content that's out there. I think that's a good way to start. Dr. Coburn, you know, uh, we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission five years ago, uh, and Indigenous people tell us that the knowledge of these unmarked graves, they knew about this. Um, What do you make of the fact that for most Canadians, uh, it, it took this to open our eyes to this? Uh, well, I think there's something material and tangible about uh, about graves themselves that are a little bit more than just reading sort of, you know, some documented truths. The um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission was done over a period of, you know, more than five years. The uh, apology as part of the Indian Residential Schools Settlement Agreement came in 2008, and then the Research and Commission uh, started up and, and her testimony, but it, it, it happened without as much fanfare, and it doesn't shock the conscience nearly as much as a revelation of one sort of mass grave. So you and I, we had spoken uh, just over a month ago about Kamloops discovery, and, and, and that was more of a mass disposal site for corpses, whereas these were, you know, the graves that came out of Calisus and, and now at, um, uh, in the Tanaka Nation. They, they seem to be a little bit more carefully cultivated, but uh, it's still shocking to people to understand that there is a mass grave, and and um, I think that I think that brings up imagery of um, places that we never thought would occur here. And I think I said back then was that we reserve ideas of mass corpse disposal sites as something that happens in war-torn regions, conflict-riddled um, parts of the world. And the the most you know shocking atrocities against humanity in history, uh, and and now we're starting to see that this happens on Canadian soil or has happened. Well, yeah, and and Bridget Dozak, I mean, just the very idea. Who ever heard of a school that has a cemetery attached to it? Yeah, exactly. I think. Uh... I think even just learning about the schools themselves, but now learning that uh, cemeteries, mass graves, um, you know, we've always been told approximately um, 6,000 people, uh, 6,000 young people, young Indigenous people died. But I think we're, I think this is going to bring up the number way much higher than what we had anticipated. And I think, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's time. It's time that, that Canadians learn about this piece of our history. I'm going to take a call from Sita in Mississauga. Hi, Sita. Hi, how is everyone? Everyone is fine, thank you. Happy birthday, Canada. Happy birthday. Yes, we, um, yes, we should celebrate Canada birthday. Canada is our country. We should be proud to be Canadian because presently we are the ones who is making a difference. 
recognizing and making amendment for the past horrific acts towards the First Nation people and the children at residential school. Our hearts, hearts hate today, but we should be proud to be Canadian, uh, a country we call our home. Sita, uh, I can tell from your accent that you were born somewhere else. Yes, so tell Guyana. me about, about your immigration to Canada. Oh, well, we left Guyana because of political problems and came to Canada to do better, have a better life. And I'm grateful for that, that we had that opportunity to come here. Canada is a wonderful country. You come People should, who immigrate here should try to do better because that's the reason why they came here. And when did you come here? Oh my gosh, for 40 plus years. I came when I was 15 years old. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Sita. Happy Canada Day. And same to all. Take care. Okay. Uh, both uh, To both of our guests, you know, Canada Day is very different for new Canadians, and may I say for the children of new Canadians, that I think that for a lot of new Canadians who have come here for a better life and who have found a better life, the idea of cancelling it, the idea of it becoming something shameful is, is, is very difficult. Dr. Coburn. Uh, yeah, you know, I normally spend my... Uh, Canada Days at uh, Kingsmere, which is the sort of setting and, and cottage of uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King. And uh, forgive me, the uh, snowbirds are flying over once again to make another pass. But um, we're good. Um, I, I usually think that um, I, whenever I'm there, I usually consider about the Second World War and when Prime Minister King sent back or refused to accept Jewish. What, what we could call refugees, but the, the ones that were Jewish people who were running from the, the, the greatest atrocities committed against humankind, probably in the history of humankind. Um, so None I, is too many. Of, that was his is, motto. Exactly. None is too many. And, um, and, and, you know, there are some people who gained asylum here who can embrace Canada and say this, I got away from my country that had political troubles. But it wasn't the case for everyone, too. So, as you said at the outset, there are those who still experience anti-Semitism here as well. Well, you um, know, my, my parents uh, were Holocaust survivors, and uh, it, it, all of that is terrible and true about Canada's attitude to Jews, and they were also barred from a lot of professions and schools, but, but my parents were able to come here after the war, after they lost basically their entire families. Right, yeah. I mean, political conditions and, and situations changed, uh, and, and they always do. You know, at some points, like, the particular zeitgeist of things can be right at the moment where Indigenous people are embraced, but even as recent as maybe 15, 20 years ago, we were still fairly stigmatized and, and negative, negatively stigmatized people. So it's nice to see the, the embrace and the shifts in those political tidewaters. But, um, you know, we also still live under situations on, in our uh, First Nations where the governance and, uh, and rights are under considerable constraints from, well, I mean, this particular Liberal government continues to overlook the rulings from the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal to assure that they provide the programs and services and, uh, you know, it could be in health and education that meet the uh, conditions of the uh, Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. So they've, uh, you know, seen several, several uh, non-compliance orders that that's what we live under right now. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you know, even that that recent uh, case of that that poor indigenous woman in the hospital in Quebec being taunted as she was dying, I mean, is horrifying. Um, Bridget Dozak, again, uh, how do you see this this divide um, with new Canadians who are often our biggest cheerleaders? Mm-hmm. And I think. 
Canada is a country that has enabled millions of Canadians to live their lives and to exercise rights that are the envy of much of the rest of the world. Um, we've, we have many enormous successes as Canadians, and we should be proud of those. But at the same time, we've clearly failed part of a population, um, you know, with unfair discriminatory action. And uh, I think it's evident with the Indigenous people. So, um so it, it's it's finding that balance of um, of figuring out is it a period of reflection, much like Remembrance Day, that we need to do, um, so that we can you know continue to 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 talk about the people that have died for this country. We were mentioning World War Two, World War One, obviously, and many other conflicts, um, but also people who have died because of it, and um, and meaning the children of residential school among others, and I think. Um, I think our country is a beautiful place. I think we have done amazing things. Um, not too long ago, we came out with our insulin um, heritage minute, uh, which was discovered in uh, at the University of Toronto. And I think uh, I think it's important to mark those, but I think it's important also to reflect. I think we could do both. Yeah, let's hear from Wanda in Georgetown. Hello, Wanda. Hi, Libby. How are you today? I'm fine. Happy Canada Day. Happy Canada Day, a day to celebrate for, for all of us, I hope. Uh-huh. I'd, like, I'd like to start off by first saying I'm truly sorry for all of these Indigenous burials, children that have been found. I think that that is absolutely horrendous and not acceptable. Um, however, this is something that went on many, many years ago, and... I wasn't responsible for it, and you weren't responsible for it, and I think it's part of our history that should be taught, and children should know about it and be educated about it. But I think we also have to move forward and celebrate the wonderful country that we live in. Okay, Wanda, thanks for your call. All right, and, uh, you know, we all have good and bad people in this world, and unfortunately, that was a group of bad people that did bad things to, to these children. And hopefully nothing like that happens in our future. But again, we live with good and bad. Thanks, Libby. Thank you, Wanda. I mean, it was a pretty big group spread out. Um, what do you think of this, you know, people who make a distinction between their individual responsibility and our responsibility as a nation is that is you know when somebody says you know i'm a good person i didn't do this sorry are you asking me uh, yeah yeah oh yeah so um uh yeah i, I don't like uh, hearing that myself either because of course nobody here you didn't do it i didn't do it and none of us are personally liable, and there's no culpability that we could kind of claim here, but we're all beneficiaries of it, too. And it sort of sounds a little bit like the just get over it, but uh, also that sort of elision into the past that this is behind us and let's move forward. Well, that's, this is our current contemporary lived life right now. Um, the, you know, I hate to quote the cliche of our lived existence, but that is how we live every day. And... Uh, there isn't any of this, these great sort of rights of equality and equal concern and respect for individuals unless it's for everyone. So if, if they could show it to Indigenous peoples, I, I mean, it's, it's nice to hear the platitudes of like, well, we didn't do it. This is a great country. Let's just get over it and move forward. Well, unfortunately, that just isn't the case for Indigenous people. We just don't kind of... Uh, you know, put on a new shirt the next day and say, well, that was yesterday. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting. Um, our caller did acknowledge how horrific she thought it was. But uh, I think, yeah, you're making a very good point that, that um, we should learn about it. And, you know, we... It, it's not that we've moved on um, from it. I'm talking about non-Indigenous people. We were it never affected us, but it, for Indigenous people, it is very far from over. As a matter of fact, I think for some, it 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 might be beginning. Bridget, 
I think also history has a tendency to repeat itself. Um, so I think learning about the past, um, it's, it, it's not just moving forward, it's learning, it's understanding, it's, it's, um, it's more than just teach it to the kids at school. I think it's teach it to all Canadians. All Canadians should know about this. Um, and we should, we, we should learn about it to make sure that we don't repeat anything of the sort ever again in Canada. And the only way you don't repeat your mistakes is if you, you first of all, learn about them, but then learn how not to make that mistake again. And this is a huge mistake. Like, it's, it's not even a mistake. It's a, it's a horrible piece of our history. I'd like to give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And, and here is something that strikes me about all of this. Um, to the extent that uh, I see you know, a national flaw. I, I think that Canadians sometimes have a tendency to be a little bit self-righteous. I think that we often sort of look at the States and say, oh, we are so much better than that. And at other places. Uh, and I think that, you know, Toronto is marketed as the most multicultural place on earth, and probably it is. But, you know, the, it, it, you know what, what we constantly keep saying is that it, this is great. We're so multicultural. We all get along. And, um, you know, maybe this will kind of push us off of that a little bit. Um, Dr. Coburn, what do you think? Uh, yeah, you know, I, and, and I was also, you know, reflecting on, on what Bridget said. is like, yeah, so we have to kind of keep on, on guard and how we reflect upon these things because it can rear its head again. It, you know, for, for Jewish folks, they, they know it can rise up in pockets again. Sometimes it just takes... Um, it's happening you know, right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, it, it could scapegoating. It it can occur and become a little bit culturally hegemonic at some points, or you know, not necessarily predominant amongst the majority, but enough in a significant minority. It could even be like thirty, forty percent who hate. But you know, then it becomes very you know socially hegemonic, and that is the predominant viewpoint. And it can it can rear its ugly head. It's it, it you never kill that beast. It it kind of lies dormant. So reflecting upon that as well, but. One of the other points that I was thinking about on, on the celebration of Canada Day is that this is actually really only um, a 45-year-old sort of experiment of sorts of, you know, celebrating in such a way that Canada has invested in this. It, it sort of came up during Pierre Trudeau and was amplified during the uh, 1970s reaction to Quebec separatism rising. Um, even so much, I think it was, uh, most of the Canada Day celebrations were cancelled in 1976 if i recall that uh they didn't invest as much in the celebrations but it's um it is about i guess creating a nationalist sentiments here and um that was you know sort of a dream because we are a fractious society we've we've gone through a couple of decades where quebec wanted to separate we have some western alienation but um and we're really seeing a- we're seeing tendrils of that now right yeah <laughs> So, I mean, it is a day to celebrate, you know, the, the good of what Canada did. And, and so don't get me wrong, personally, that um, it, it is one of the better countries in the world. And, um, and, I, and I can't imagine living somewhere else with all the other options, but I can't imagine a better Canada. Yeah, that's um, that is definitely a good, uh, a good thought. Um, Bridget? What about that? I mean, I, I think uh, I think that uh, Veldon is right that, you know, being gung-ho Canada Day is a pretty new thing. I mean, we were a British dominion until not very long ago. Uh, so, uh, I mean, how do you see all these competing threads? Uh, well, you know, even if you think back, I think uh, it's only been 50, 45, 50 years that we've been calling this Canada Day before it was called Dominion Day. Um, I think uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's great to, to celebrate your country and to be proud of your country. Um, and it's, it's okay to look at all the wonderful things that we accomplish 
Um, but I think there's room there's room to reflect. There's room to to figure out, as Veldon mentioned, like how do we make a better Canada? How do we we learn from this, and how do we move to a space where you know we could be really really proud of 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 the work that we've done on on Canada and on accepting all of its people. Yeah. Um, Veldon, uh, we're starting to run out of time. What, what would you like to leave us with on this? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think you mentioned it too, like, uh, earlier about the people who have, who have died for this country. Uh, and, and this is where I kind of sympathize a little bit with one of the, the more recent callers who came from Guyana to say that, um, you know, it, it was it was what it offers, and I think I guess that's the uh, possibility of Canada. So reflecting on the past and those who died, and maybe today is uh, is that there were a lot of Indigenous children who needlessly suffered and then died, and then they were disposed of, and and, and their parents not told what happened to them. That um, that maybe in their honor, a nation can emerge that uh, that properly honors them. Yeah, and that, that sounds like a, a lot of the things that many of our new Canadians were escaping from, frankly. Yeah, and maybe didn't know. And now that they're realizing, I think they, maybe they'll take it to heart and say, yeah, okay, I can imagine a better Canada. Bridget, last word to you. Uh, I would just say, go go learn about this. Go learn about residential schools, about our Indigenous people. Um, if you go to our Historica Canada website or even the Canadian Encyclopedia, um, just go go see. We have the Chani Wenjak Heritage Minute where you can learn more about the treatment of, of this boy in residential school. Uh, we have timelines so that you can see that residential that, that uh, Indigenous people don't start in 1492 or 1867. So that's what I would say. Just go learn more about our Indigenous history because it is Canadian history. Thank you so much, Bridget Dozak and Dr. Veldon Coburg, and happy Canada Day. You too. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. You too. Okay, uh, we are taking a break. And when we come back yesterday, Bill Cosby walked out of jail. Uh, Supreme Court there said that his conviction, no good. Uh, we'll talk about that and what it means uh, for future sexual assault victims, uh, for dozens of women who say he drugged and assaulted them. Let me give the numbers before we go to break. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740 when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.